It was the first time I ever, ever been cut from an from a team before in my whole life. There's two different paths. You can kind of sulk and mope around and be like, uh, no, it's terrible. I'm just going to, you know, give up or I'm just going to go to this place and I'm not really going to care and I'm just going to try to do everything I can to, for myself to try to get back to the NBA or do whatever it is. Or the other option is really embrace wherever you're going to go and really make the best of it and try to be the best that you possibly can be in that role. Welcome to episode 150 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, we have Jimmer Fredette. Jimmer Fredette is a professional basketball player. He was National College Player of the Year for BYU. Uh, he's played in the NBA and overseas professionally in China. And the reason we brought Jimmer on is because of the correlation between sports and business, entrepreneurship, that positive mentality, training, taking those extra steps that most people won't do to not only better your career, but better yourself. And the correlation between company culture and the culture on a team. And there's so much great insights and applications from Jimmer that we can all apply. So without further ado, let's get started. This past May, we had an amazing Contractor Coalition Summit. This was in Nashville with Nick Schiffer from Menace Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style out of Minnesota. And we are now up for our second round of the Contractor Coalition Summit that'll be in Huntington Beach from Sunday, November 6th through Wednesday, November 9th. Go to ContractorCoalitionSummit.com, sign up, register. We have some amazing partners that'll be there sponsoring the event, amazing attendees that have already signed up. It's limited seating. We're only allowing 30 to attend. And again, this will be all things pricing, profitability, contracting, client expectations, scheduling, and of course, marketing and social media. Everything that we wish we knew in our business from the very beginning is all going to be wrapped up into just a couple of days. So we'll see you there in Huntington Beach in November. So welcome today to the Construction Podcast. And we're super fortunate today to have Jimmer Fredette with us. Welcome, Jimmer. Yes. Thanks for having me, Brad. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And I mean, you just, you've had a big day, a big week. You're in the TBD tournament. You know, you had an awesome showing yesterday. I know a lot of your... Uh, uh, your highlights went viral yesterday, you know, being back on the course. I'm sure that was nice. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Every time I seem to to play on U.S. soil or do something <laughs> good, I'm able to have some video clips being shown on social media and sometimes ESPN and all that stuff. So that's a lot of fun uh, to be able to have that on there. And it was just fun to play some competitive basketball again. I hadn't played for uh, about a year. I didn't go end up going back over to China last year. So it's uh, nice to be able to play again. So maybe, you know, let, let, let's start there. I mean, just for those listening, Jimmer's a professional basketball player. You know, you play in the NBA, first in, you know, college player of the year, you played in China. Um, it, how did that change your career now? I mean, here you are in the U.S., you were playing in China for a while with COVID. Do you plan on going back? I mean, how has that changed, you know, just career path? Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm not 100% sure yet what I'm going to be doing next year. I'm a, I am a free agent, so I can kind of go and play wherever I want to. Um, but no, I decided not to go over last year just with the COVID situation. Uh, my wife was, was pregnant. We just had a baby about two months ago. And, um, you know, if I went over there, I would be over there for, you know, seven months without seeing my family or my kids. And that's what I did the year prior. And I was like, I just can't do that again, honestly, with, uh, with the two little ones and then one on the way and just, uh, making sure everything was good. So I decided to stay home. Um, and, uh, now this year, like I said, be a free agent. So we'll see. Um, you know, in China situation, um, I've had a great experience over there. I'd love my time in Shanghai. They're so, so great to me and my family. We'll just kind of see what happens as far as the situation with COVID and all that stuff. 
So living abroad, I mean, what's that like? I, I've, I've lived abroad shortly. I lived in Argentina for a couple of years, you know, and, um, you know, China, though, it's, it seems foreign to most of us having not been there. And, um, you know, how was that experience? I know it was really tough on you, as you mentioned, just being away from the family, but, but culture-wise, you know, fitting in language barriers. I mean, how, how was the adaptation for you living there? Yeah, no, it's definitely different. I mean, it's a completely different country. Uh, than what we, you know, what I'm used to, you know, growing up in, in America and then going over to, country, uh, to a country like China. Um, it's just a different type of culture, different type of mindset, different type of thinking, um, but was a great experience for me to be able to get to know the people over there, to get to know the culture, how they live, the food they eat, um, you know, the, the language and, and kind of the different personalities and uh, customs and um, you know they have a lot of uh, festivals and all these different things. So it's it's really cool to be able to experience that. I kind of immerse myself in a culture that I was not you know familiar with to begin with. Um, I always try to take advantage of it and, and make sure that I'm going out and doing the best that I can to connect with my teammates um, on a cultural level, on a friendship level. Even though some of them don't speak the same language and they can't communicate as well, it's still they can still feel your energy and feel if you're trying to, to help them and to be kind and to do good things and to know who they are as people and about their family. So that, I tried to, to do that the best I could and had a great experience doing it. I think because of it, have a different perspective on life and um, you know, the world because of it. I was going to ask that, you know, as you're speaking about that and I'll, I'll relate to my experience living in Argentina, especially coming to the U S you know, at a young age, you know, learning Spanish, being immersed in the culture, as you mentioned, you know, cuisine, people, you know, how they communicate, family dynamics, you know, it's, it's, it's different, right? Than the way I grew up, it's just different than here. But culturally, yeah. I mean, it had a big impact on me at a young age. I mean, you think perspective now for you, even though you had a lot of maturity, you know, you've, you, you've played competitive basketball all throughout your life, you've traveled. Uh, how has it changed now, especially being father, young family, living abroad, and then coming back to America, you know, and, and as you mentioned, the whole perspective changes. Yeah, 100%. It really does. And I, I can truly say I am, you know, very blessed and fortunate to be able to live here in the US, um, you know, with my family. Um, I love being able to be here. Um, and there's some amazing things about these other countries that I've played in and other places I've been in. There's some really amazing things that I wish we would do more here in the US and, and vice versa, uh, when you go and live in these other places. So there's great things about both places. Um, but I truly do love being back, you know, in America. It just makes you appreciate where you grew up and, uh, and who you, um, you know, your family and, um, you know, all the the different things that you have, you know, freedoms to be able to do. And, and um, you know, so it's awesome to be able to to come back to, to, to America. And I live in Denver, you know, in the off season. I love Colorado and the weather and, and all the stuff that, that, you know, we were able to have there, but uh, it definitely gives you a different perspective. And like I said, it's, you know, one place is, it's just different, you know, not one place is necessarily better than the other. Um, it's just a, a place uh, that you're kind of familiar with and used to when you get back onto U.S. soil. So it's interesting. You mentioned when you were playing there in China, how important it was, you know, to get along with your teammates and, and be part of the culture there. Do you have any foreign teammates as well or any English speaking or were they all Chinese? And the reason I ask that is, with, sports has so much uh, connection with business, right? You know, I run a business and a big thing I speak about a lot of guests is company culture. And it's really hard to create a company with great yeah. company culture, right? And from the bottom down to the top, but the, the, the better culture you have as a company, the more successful you'll be. And it's no different than sports. I'm sure you've seen that through the different teams you've played with throughout your career, that, that tight knit yep. community you have as a team can fluctuate year to year, but the teams that are most successful have a great company culture, at least 
maybe don't get along perfectly outside the court, but when they're on the court, right, they have that chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's an interesting process, you know, to be able to create that culture um, when you're over in China playing. Now, there was only other one other American that played with with me at per time they only allowed two they call us imports they only allowed two <laughs> yeah they only allowed two imports at a time um so most of the time it was an american person i did play with uh uh louis scola who was from oh, argentina yeah. mm-hmm. and then i played with gershon ubisele who was from france who um you know has kind of played in the nba in some different places and then one year i had nick nick minerath who was from the u.s and another time was uh, uh marcus uh uh, Marcus Dentman, and he was from the U.S. as well. Great guys, um, but it, you definitely see it over in China because there is that language barrier that the guys that at least reach out and try to connect with the Chinese guys somehow, some way, whether they do speak English, whether they just sit next to them, and even with their translator and try to get to know information with them on and off the court, you definitely see that the the team camaraderie is much better. They play harder. You know, because a lot of times in China, the U.S. person gets to shoot most of the shots. They get to handle the ball most of the time. We're making all of the decisions on the court, right? So if you're not trying to connect with them on a personal level or try to get to know them and show that you really care, then they won't play as hard for you because they know they're not going to shoot the shots. They know they're not going to do a lot of these things, you know, and they'll try to ice, they'll almost ice you out. And then it's kind of a point of like that camaraderie just isn't good. And it shows on the court. So it's really important for me to be able to do that right from the get go. Now, I'm not just doing it just because of basketball. I'm doing it because I'm genuinely trying to be a good person and trying to, you know, get to know who they are. And I think that's just what my parents have instilled in me to be kind, to be a good person, do good things, get to know people and uh, embrace yourself and and, and the culture. And uh, so because of that, I think we had good camaraderie and that's what allowed me to play there for four years. They wanted me to keep coming back and they still want me to come back. So it's good. It's pretty rare. I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, when you speak about just the importance of immerse yourself in the culture and the food and, and, and communicating with them, again, going to Argentina, one of my mentors, he said, Brad, when you go, make, make sure that you're not just like going to American restaurants, you know, like McDonald's or like Burger King that's down there, right? Like eat the yeah. natural cuisine, get to know the locals, right? And, and it's really important. And, and I apply it now when we have our team meetings with my team, you know, running a construction company, we'll have all different subcontractors and trades, right? Building these homes. So, you know, from framers yep. to plumbers and, and I always speak to them. It's super important that you know everyone's name that's on the job site, right? Because there's going to, you're going to yep. garner a lot more respect from those that are working with you. If you know their names, if you, if you actually ask something about them, maybe bring them a drink, maybe bring them on, you know, it's hot in Phoenix right now, like bring yeah. a cooler drinks, right? And, and it's these relationships of trust, right? That you're building with these people. So speak about, um, you know, being there in China and you mentioned this, that why is it that, you know, the American born player, maybe Argentine, as you mentioned, the foreign player, why is it the, the, the general on the court? Is it more a talent level that's there? Or is, you know, basketball is becoming more relevant in China or prevalent, I should say, you know, how, why is that that you're kind of dictating how things go there on the court? Yeah, it's, it's a talent, talent level as, as, as well as um, just the expectation. They, you know, they're paying the American players or the imports more than the Chinese players on a, you know, normal average, right? So when you get paid more normally, they're going to expect you to produce more, right? And that's what they they expect you to do. Like if you're not producing at a level that they want you to produce, they'll get you out of there real quick. Like they they don't have any, they'll bring in another guy. And then if you're not producing, they'll bring in another guy and they have the money to be able to do it. So they're just kind of like, hey, if you're over here, you're an import, we expect you to lead the team. 
but we expect you to not just lead the team on the court, but also off the court. We want you to show them how to be professionals. We want you to show them how to be, uh, you know, how to work out, how to train, how to do all of these things, um, you know, on and off the court. And I took that seriously. You know, when I got over there, I took that seriously. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be someone who was professional. And it was always great after practice. Guys would come work out with me, um, shoot with me, ask me questions. They'd come up to me and um, ask for, for things, you know, how do I do this move? How do I do this? Whatever it was. Um, off the court, what do I eat? You know, well, you know, those different types of things that I feel like were really important for a lot of these you know, guys progression. Um, so I was able to see a lot of these kids from, you know, for four years, continue to progress and get better every year. Um, and that was very, very satisfying. So I, I think that was the biggest thing is that level of expectation of an import when they go over there because they're paying you more. They're saying, hey, we want you to really um, be the leader of this team and help us win games. So how does that opportunity present itself? I mean, I know, that, you know, as you b- become a professional, a lot of guys will go to Europe, you know, China, is, is that your agent that's working with you saying, hey, Jimmy, we have a great opportunity. I mean, speak about, you know, how that door opened. And then I'm, I'm sure yeah. there were some conversations your wife had that, hey, I'm going to go live remote for seven months in another country, you know, which, which is not an easy conversation. Yeah, so it's, it was interesting. So uh, my last year in the NBA, I was with the Sa- uh, San Antonio Spurs, right? I had one, one shot there. Um, in training camp, they were looking at a couple different guys, myself included, to make a roster spot. And, uh, you know, the last preseason game, I got called in the office by Coach Popovich. And uh, he said, you know, we're going to have to let you go. And it was the first time I'd ever been cut from an, from a team before in you know, my whole life. There's two different paths. You can kind of sulk and mope around and be like, uh, that's terrible. I'm just going to, you know, give up or I'm just going to go to this place and I'm not really going to care. And I'm just going to try to do everything I can to for myself to try to get back to the NBA or do whatever it is. Or the other option is really embrace wherever you're going to go and really make the best of it and try to be the best that you possibly can be in that role. Um, and, you know, I tried to take the second route. Now I didn't know exactly where I was going to go at that point, but I knew wherever I was going to go, I was going to try to be the best that I could be. So I had a lot of offers from Europe, um, Australia, um, all over Asia, that type of thing. And, you know, my agent is the one that's fielding all of these calls, right? And he got a call from Yao Ming. And Yao Ming, um, obviously, uh, one of the best professional basketball players ever from China, the best from China ever, Hall of Famer, 7-7, huge human being. Um, he's the owner of the Shanghai Sharks at the time. And he saw me play uh, in Houston, we used to play against them but for preseason games, and he saw me play all over the place, and he said, I want him to come be a part of our team. So he talked to my agent, and the the, the coach there was um, an American guy. His name is Brian Gorgian. Um, he told he talked to me and, and kind of gave me you know a little bit of the 411 of what was going on over there and everything. Right. He said he wants me to come over and play. And, uh, you know, at that point, it was, the money was really good. And, you know, Yao Ming, stable organization. And I was going to Shanghai, which is, in my opinion, the best city in China for a Westerner to live. And, uh, you know, so it was uh, the right situation. So I remember, you know, thinking about it. And it just, I was sleeping one morning. And at 3 a.m., it just kind of woke up. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I need to go to China. And uh, so I woke up early at like 5 a.m., hit my wife and was like, wait, like, I need to. <laughs> I need, I, I need to go to China. And she's like, all right, fine, whatever. Just let me go back to sleep. So <laughs> she goes back to sleep and wakes up and is like, all right, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, I think this is the right thing to do. And, 
And uh, she was she was all on board with it. I mean, Whitney has been unbelievably supportive for me throughout the whole process, wherever it is that I've been. She knows that there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of unknowns when you're a professional athlete. Um, but she's been incredible through the whole thing, supportive no matter what. And, uh, you know, we've been able to be blessed with a, with a, with a great life, um, at this point. So that's kind of how it went down. was able to go to Shanghai and, uh, try to take advantage of it. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, there's that pivot point. Everyone has that tipping point in their life where, you know, it's not that things were easy for you. I'm sure they never were growing up in New York and, you know, the career path you took. I mean, people can look from afar, you know, at your game and be like how talented Jim is and not realizing the work that goes into it. Right. But as you mentioned, there's this pivot point. And I, I had this in my career in 2011 when everything fell apart. I did a YouTube video about this, that I I had a plan just like you, right. I had a direction. I was going this way and my whole world like fell apart and I had to reevaluate things and, you know, started AFT and I won't get into the mix of it. But as you mentioned, like, where does this upbringing come from this mentality? Because I think this is really important to business entrepreneurship, which you are an entrepreneur, Jim, and that's the reality of it. And, you know, as an athlete where it is easy to say, okay, well, what's next? You know, you had planned your whole life to get to this point and then you're at this turning point. So is this upbringing, is this parents, is this influences you have throughout your life? I mean, mentorship that you've had. Yeah, no, definitely. I think a lot of it comes from my parents. My, my father, you know, especially he was a really hardworking guy. We didn't grow up with, with a ton, uh, grew up in a, in a small place in a blue collar town in upstate New York where no one really knew where it was or anything like that. But the people were, were tough, hardworking people and were extremely nice, good people. But my dad, he was an entrepreneur himself. I mean, he had every single job you could possibly think of, you know, from door to door sales to working in a paper mill to working at mines and to working, you know, door or whatever it is. He's literally done, he's done it all. And uh, I saw him work really, really hard to get to the point where he was. And to finally, you know, he was able to go and, and take the series seven test and become a financial planner without any financial schooling or anything like that. You know, he was just a hard worker, right? He just was, it was like, I'm just going to go do it. I'm just going to get things done. And, uh, you know, that type of mentality, I think was within our family, my brother and my sister who are older than me, both were good, hardworking people, good athletes. Uh, my sister was really good at school and, you know, took that, that, that route. My brother was a good athlete and decided to take that route. And, you know, for me, um, you know, I just saw that and was, was, the younger one, you know, and you know how the younger one is, they're always getting beat up on and, and they're always getting, you know, told they can't do something and, you know, all of these things that are going to being the youngest child. And I just had a mentality of like, I don't care. Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care, you know, how big you are or anything like that. I'm going to go do it. And uh, so I just had that. I always had that type of mentality. Um, my mom was huge into positivity, positivity, just thinking the positive way. Um, and I think that's a huge part of success is to be able to, um, you know, if something happens and it's not what you think, you'd have to brush it off and you have to be like, all right, I got to use that as a motivation to, to get to the next step, whatever that next step may be. And, uh, you know, having a positive mindset and thinking, thinking the right way, I think is a huge part in being able to do that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned that the positivity is what breeds success. And, you know, the more time I've spent interviewing guests on this podcast that have been successful, the more I spend around, you know, my clients who have been successful, you know, the, the common theme is that positivity, as you mentioned, because look, life's hard. Relationships are hard. Business is hard. I mean, sports are hard. Like, like anything you're doing is really difficult. And, and if you don't have, if, if you have uh, maybe a negative or uh, 
you know, Debbie Denner mindset, it's really hard to, to be on top of your game and to always look to uh, how, how can I better myself? How can I perform? How can I, you know, change my surrounding? How can I change my company culture? How can I change, you know, maybe my process of, of being an athlete? And I think one of the biggest compliments for you, Jimmers, I know, especially when you were playing, well, you're playing now, but you know, the constant theme is that like how competitive you are. They're like, Jimmer's so competitive. I mean, this is a guy that'll cut your throat out but yet he does it in a likable way, right? I mean, you know, you're in someone's face and you're smiling at him. So, I mean, competitiveness, you, you alluded to this a little bit. I mean, where does that, that drive come from? Because to get to your level, I mean, you have to have that drive. Yeah. You know, I honestly think it came from internally. I mean, obviously my family is competitive. Um, you know, my brother, my, my dad, my mom, they're all competitive. I have aunts and uncles that are competitive, all that stuff. But honestly, I think it just came within. I just got blessed with a with an opportunity to you know to play basketball and i i knew that i had a a talent for it right from when i was young i could just shoot the ball and i was i was always pretty good but i had a belief like i didn't have a plan b growing up it was plan a it was nba that was all i thought about right that's like what i was going to do and it was probably naive of, of me at that point you know growing up from a small town being a small white kid who was pretty chubby <laughs> growing up like it was bigger and you know people are like you think you're going to be in the nba but i truly believed it and you know so because of that i had an internal drive of like i need to practice every day my my brother my dad no one ever came to me and was like hey we need to go practice today it was always me being like hey i'm going to practice today will you come with me or if you're not i'm just going to go by myself you know what i mean like i was always going to get that work in um because i had a plan I had a goal and I was going to reach it. And that's just the way, that's the way I thought. Right. And I think anybody who's successful thinks that way. If you go into a situation and you don't think that you can accomplish it, uh, accomplish it, accomplish it, you're not going to be able to like, it's just, you know, the way it works, you have to have that belief. And that's why, you know, all successful people think they're the best or think they're, you know, the best player on the court at any time. doesn't matter who's on the court. And, but it's not a, a cockiness. It's just a confidence, right? You, you can be confident and not cocky. You don't have to outwardly show it. You don't have to, you know, showboat or do any of these things. You can just have a belief in yourself and then continue to understand that, you know, you can still be humble. You can still be a good person. You can still all do these, all these other things while trying to accomplish your goal and understanding who you are as a person and who you are as an athlete. So I've always had that type of mindset. And, uh, you know, I think it's really important for kids that are trying to reach their goals to, to have that mindset. It's interesting to say that, Jimmer. Maybe I was late to the game, but it's funny. I remember it's probably like seven or eight years ago. There was, you know, there's that book and there's the movie The Secret, right? And I'm thinking, okay, well, what's the secret to like all this secret things? And there's like a vision board. And reality is, as you mentioned, I mean, the whole secret of people that are successful is they 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 dream it. They they you know their goals. They're aligned to it. Like you already said, I'm going to be an NBA player. I don't care what anyone says. Like I don't care about my size and stature. Like I'm going to continue and work and work and work. It's that ten thousand hours, right? That Malcolm Gladwell speaks about. And what's interesting is. You know, I think about it business-wise, and this is something I've spoken to some other business owners. When I started my company, it's like, okay, it, it took a lot of time, right, to get the projects we wanted. But I knew, like, deep down, I said, this is what we're going to be doing. These are the homes that we want to be building. These are the clientele we want to be working with. And it was that constant, like, this is what we're going to do, this. And every opportunity that came, okay, this is a step to the next, you yes. know, the next option, right? This is a step to the next, uh, you know, part of the ladder that I have to climb to get to where I want to be. And, and yep. you think that from marketing and just mentality. And so from, from your side, Jim, I mean, this is rare. I mean, for me, again, you know, I was competitive as a kid, but never, 
at that level. It's not until I was older and really understood that, hey, a lot of us have this, this power inside of us, or a lot of us have this opportunity, but we have to like take the steps. We have to be disciplined. We have to be positive, right? All these things. And, and so for you, you started young. Did you play other sports growing up? Did that help fine tune this? Or was it just basketball that you're like, you know, you caught the vision and you're like, I'm ready. Oh, I play, I played other sports, especially at a small school. If I didn't play any sports, other sports, we wouldn't field the team basically. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it, we, we wouldn't have the, the players. All the players had to, um, you know, play all the sports in order to have good competitive teams. And uh, so I played football, I played soccer, I played baseball. I played football and baseball all the way growing up through high school. Um, and then I played basketball as well, but, and I, I encourage that for kids. Um, the reason being is because you don't want to get burnt out on one thing. You know what I mean? If you're just doing one thing every single day at a certain age for the rest of your life, um, and you're not doing anything else, it's very, very easy to get burnt out. Now there are a few that won't, and those will be incredible success stories. And you'll see tennis players that are like that and golfers that are like that. Um, but if you look at basketball players, football players, baseball players, most of them play other sports growing up because that athleticism translates from one sport to another. And there's different things that you get from one sport from, uh, from another sport that you may not get from basketball, you know, those types of things. So I encourage it, but also at the same time, I had a goal to play basketball and that's what I wanted to do. Even though I liked football, I liked baseball. So I always made time, um, during the week to be able to still play basketball, even if it was football season or even if it was baseball season or whatever it was. Now I may not play every single day um, during the season because, you know, it's practice, it's school, it's games, it's tiring. Um, you know, but I always found a couple days a week for sure to keep my skills going. And then, you know, once it was basketball season and then through summer, it was all grind time of just playing basketball and making sure that I was getting prepared for what I needed to do, um, next, but it's definitely, uh, you know, you definitely, I think you should play other sports, give yourself a break from some of these other, um, from what your, your main sport, just mentally, physically, just to kind of regroup. And I promise you, if you take a day off or two days off, you're not going to lose all of your skills. You know what I mean? Like it's going to help you more mentally and physically to be able to, you know, work harder the next time you get to the gym. Well, it's interesting you say that. I, from my understanding, there's been a lot of research done as well that with injuries, right? A lot of the the players that have played multiple sports, they're less prone to injury, right? Because it's different muscle memory, different muscles you're using. And and as you mentioned, adaptation and competitiveness, because even, you know, even people that have done the same career the whole time, like I know Tiger Woods has been open about that. Hey, I've, I've played golf my whole life, but they get burnt out, right? I mean, he's, he's so dominant. He's changing his swing. And, yeah. you know, it's almost like you, you, you need this other outlet. And so, you know, going back to, to growing up and you mentioned that you spent a lot of time, you know, still finding time for basketball. When did the green light come? Cause you were kind of the forecast of like these deep three pointers, right? That now Steph Curry and you are known for, right? So, you yeah. know, pull, pulling up from in here on the court, you know, that, that you have to have extreme confidence and, and not only for yourself, but also from your teammates, from your coach that are going to be okay with, you know, this shot selection, if you will, that you're still going to hit them every time. So we're, you know, speak about just kind of being at the forefront of this whole movement that has changed basketball. Yeah, no, it started uh, when I was super young. Um, the reason being, like I said, my brother was seven years older than me. My sister's nine years older than me. So I was quite a bit younger, but I was always hanging out with them, hanging out with my brother and his friends. And they'd come over to our backyard and play basketball. We had a basketball hoop out there. And, you know, obviously being so much younger that if I dribbled into the paint at that point, <laughs> you know, I was, I was getting blocked every single time, right? I was getting blocked. 
They're throwing me into the fence. They're doing all this stuff. So my brother made a rule, actually. So that they said, if I play, um, if I shoot behind a certain part of the the uh, the backyard, these little steps that we had, if I shoot behind there, they couldn't block my shot. And it was a pretty deep shot, right? So I was like, okay. So I started shooting from back there from a really young age and started to make the shots and they couldn't block them. And then everyone wanted me on their team after that. Right. Cause I was like a, <laughs> an asset, like all of a sudden I was making these threes from long ranges and all this stuff. So it started there. And then we played on our third grade team and my dad would go up to the coaches and the other third grade teams and be like, Hey, do you guys count three pointers? And they're like, three pointers. What do you mean? We're trying to get our kids to, dri- to dribble the ball, you know? And cause I could shoot them at that point. I can make them and, and all of that stuff. And then it just kind of, kept snowballing and I was a stronger kid when I was younger so I could shoot from a from long distances and I just kept having that and then as I got got into middle school and high school you know my coaches knew that I could shoot so I started shooting from deep ranges at that point they were letting me shoot them and um, they had no no issues with it because I was making it you know and they were like my teammates expected it they've been seeing me doing it since I was third grade so they're just like hey keep shooting those threes this is what we expect from you. And this is kind of what you do and, you know, all that stuff. And obviously developed all parts of my game as I continue to do that. But people see the the three, the long range three, and that's what they think of when they think of me. So it developed <laughs> at a young age. And then once I got to BYU, um, you know, Coach Rose wasn't super happy with it at first, you know, <laughs> but they, they learned pretty quickly. I was making them, I was, and but also it was creating space for our team and, we were winning games and all that stuff. And he's like, all right, just, you know, just shoot good shots. If they're long, that's fine, but just don't be, you know, too crazy about it. And, and uh, so my teammates were great with it too. So it ended up working out really well. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Trend, and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal, the other 
is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build a Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build a Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Builder Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. So any defining moments, I mean, I think back to your college career, you know, a lot of us that have watched that have followed along. I know you got to play against Kawhi Leonard, you know, had some big games against San Diego State, big game down here playing U of A, which is just south of us here. And, you know, even in the tournament playing Florida, you know, hitting some deep threes, right, in March Madness. I mean, the, the level, you know, of confidence from, it's one thing to play growing up, you know, play against your older siblings, you know, you're having to, you know, to fine tune that skill to, to be competitive. But at a D1 level, when you're playing at this level against talented athletes, I mean, you know, arena feel. I mean, what's that sensation, you know, hitting those shots and just, um, you, you know, just maybe not the nerves. I mean, did you ever get nervous when you played before games? Oh yeah. No, I was nervous before every game. I still am. And, uh, I think that's good. Uh, it's a good nerves. It means that you care, honestly, like when you, when you're worried about something or you're kind of a little bit nervous, it's, it's more of, uh, a good nervous, you know what I mean? Like you're prepared, but you're also like, I want to, I want to be successful. I want to do well. So because of that, you feel a little bit nervous, which is great. I think that that's, you know, important to be, to know that you still care about it and you're going to put it in your best effort. Um, but yeah, it's definitely different, you know, getting out into an arena that's filled with 15 to 20,000 people in it, playing in front of them. And most, if you're playing away, most of them yelling at you and calling you different things and all that stuff, which is super fun. I mean, that's the best part of it. I just sit, I used to just sit right next to the student session uh, before games and just let them yell at me as much as they possibly could while I was warming up so I could get as hype as I could to be like, all right, we want to, we want to shut you guys up at some point And I don't want to hear any of it. Like that's the fun of college basketball. And so I love that experience. I mean, yeah, it's definitely different, but um, I remember when we did play U of A at their place. Um, that's one of my favorite games of all time. And that was when I really, truly uh, was like, okay, I've kind of arrived. Like people are actually starting to know who I am. Like I, I had that game. They were ranked really high. That's a really prestigious place to play. Many people don't go in and win that game. We weren't supposed to win that game. And uh, I remember after that game, um, you know, they, the, their fans gave us a standing ovation uh, coming off, off, off of the court because we played so well and they just respected it. They're, they're good basketball fans. And uh, at that point we were on the map and I was on the map and people were taking notice. And then uh, after that, just kind of kept snowballing. Well, it's interesting because if I recall, I think you dropped over 50 at a blue trip school, right? That you know, <laughs> close. You- it was 40. Yeah. It was 49 points at the, yeah. at, at U of A. Yeah. And my junior, that was my junior year. That was before my senior year. So it was, uh, that's when people started to really take notice. That's amazing. So, you know, going back to the, you know, just hearing the crowd and get amped up. I mean, you know, what's the worst thing someone's called you or, you know, something that just made you laugh when they, you know, made a comment at that you just had to laugh. Yeah. A lot of times I'm I'm a member of the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And uh, so a lot of times they attack that, right. Being at BYU, they're attacking us, um, you know, saying different things about that. I remember always at uh, San Diego state, one of the funniest things, like the first 
10 people in the row had like their missionary shirts on with their bike helmets <laughs> and everything. They were always just trying to like get into us, get under our skin. Uh, you know, I, I, it's hard to like say like specifically one thing that someone says. I mean, they, they say so much and they're all saying it at the same time that it's honestly hard to hear like one specific person just saying something specifically to you, but they talk about your mom. They talk about your, your girlfriend. I mean, they used to talk about Whitney all the time. My senior year, I remember, you know, one of the teams, I think it was San Diego state that did like uh, the Facebook poke. I don't know if you remember that. That was a while uh-huh. ago, but they all, went, yeah, they all went and they were like, all right, we're going to poke Whitney, uh, Jimmer's girlfriend. Right. And they, they had like, she had like 500,000 pokes or something like that on, on, on uh, Facebook. And she had to like delete it and all that stuff for a while. It was, it was crazy, but a lot of fun things that you will never forget. That's what college basketball is all about. It's what makes it fun. What's what makes you play. It's what makes you drip driven to go out and win. Um, so I had a, a fun experience with all that. So Jim, where's that name come from? So that's my mom. I guess she's a branding expert, to be honest with you. Like she's, uh, <laughs> it must've been incredible with that. Cause I, my name is actually James. So my name is James Fredette, uh, James Taft Fredette. And, uh, but I've never been called James. Like ever since I came out, my mom's like, no, it's going to be Jimmer. Um, she would go into school when I was a kindergarten and everything and tell all my teachers, don't call him James, call him Jimmer, you know, and, and everything. So she was, uh, the one that coined that and uh you know it's definitely stuck and people you know are you know only have to say one name when you hear me so that's that's fun yeah it's a great name it's definitely you know good especially for how your career's evolved you know and to be you know notarized james probably wouldn't be as popular as jimmer right <laughs> exactly exactly like i said she was the branding expert from the beginning well branding's everything in the company and what's interesting now when you speak about branding and marketing and you know earlier in the conversation you spoke about this jimmer being you know, there in China, you were, you know, training, you're, you're teaching, right? And now you've evolved that now where you're super active on social media, you know, TikTok and Instagram, you know, teaching young players, people that follow you. Hey, here's, you know, different techniques to, to basketball. So, you know, how, how has this evolved now, especially with social media at your fingertips that you can now use this instructionally, you know, as, as kids, you and I, you know, in our generation, we didn't have access to YouTube or these videos to like, had this shortcut. You had to figure this out your, yourself, Jimmer, and, but now you're taking the educational mindset, you know? So how has that evolved, you know, career or potentially where, you know, do you think that'll take you in years to come? Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I kind of just did it one day, um, just posted on social media. I'm like, I'm working out every single day anyway. So I was like, maybe I'll just, you know, post a little video of me working out or doing a shooting form lesson or something like that. And then I got a lot of views for it and got a lot of likes for it. And people were like, Oh, I love that. Will you please do more? And uh, I was like, all right, well maybe I'll do some more and just kept kind of evolving. And, and, you know, now I try to do it pretty regularly. And honestly, I mean, for me, I've, I've been someone who's had to work out a lot, right? Like uh, being, you know, my size and stature and everything and not being the most athletic person, um, you know, out there, I've had to really hone in my skill in order to play at the level that I've played at. So I've done it so many different workouts. I've said, tried so many different skill things and little uh, footwork techniques and uh, different little shots and 
and all these things that I've worked on. And, you know, I feel like it's a good opportunity for me to be able to pass on that knowledge to some of the younger kids that are looking to do the same thing, you know, and I just, I find it fun to be able to do that. And when kids ask me questions or talk to me about it, I think I always try to take time to, to do that. Um, just because I think it's a, the right thing to do. And I think kids appreciate it and their parents appreciate it. And it's something that's, uh, fun for me to do anyway. So it's just kind of, you know, like I said, snowballed a little bit from, you know, starting one video to more people liking it and people are like, I, now people I think rely on it and they're like, Hey, I want I need some more videos so I can, you know, so I can get out there and keep working out, working on my skill and, and doing new things. So, you know, I try to put out some content and, you know, I appreciate people following me and liking it. So it's interesting. I mean, you know, as an athlete yourself, Jimmer, you know, I'm sure for you, you think, Hey, I'm just me. Like, I'm just Jimmer. Like this is, you know, you kind of go through your life, you know, pursuing your passion. But, you know, when did you start realizing, I don't want to say celebrity status, but where, where you actually had an effect where people are watching you, right? And, and you become an admiration, especially for young people that are watching you. And I know a lot of athletes that I've been around, you know, a big thing is charity, right? Giving back and, and serving. And it's not all athletes, but most of them are this way. I mean, how, how has that played a role just in, you know, your life, your well-being, you know, and just the mantle that you have right now? Yeah. Um, my life changed big time uh, my senior year at BYU. Um, you know, that's when my life really changed where I went from people knowing me and recognizing me still and, and kind of wanting some autographs and all that stuff to like overnight making it so I couldn't even go out on the street, to be honest with you, without getting mobbed when I was in college. And, uh, you know, at that point, obviously I knew I had, you know, lots of fans, people were following me throughout the country, airports, like, you know, it was hard to get into games. It was, it was definitely, uh, it was a crazy unique experience to be honest with you and something I wasn't expecting. Um, but at that point, um, you know, I knew that I had a platform and social media was just starting to come out at that point. Um, you know, which seems crazy. It was only 11 years ago. Um, but that's how new this stuff is. And, uh, I knew I had a platform and I wanted to do good with it. Um, you know, my, I, it's always been something that we wanted to do as a family. Uh, so we did start a foundation. We started that family foundation. Uh, we've been doing that for the last 11 years and it's been, been incredible. Um, we've had such a great success with it and we've actually just started a program called choose kindness program, um, with conjunction with the, uh, cook center for humanity, humanity, who has been helping sponsor. And we're actually in, uh, over over 46 schools right now all across the country with our choose kindness programs in elementary schools helping kids understand the importance of choosing kindness and how to how to be nice to people how to include people how to you know do all these things while they're young try to get it in their heads and try to get them thinking about positive things and everything since we've been so that's been a really rewarding experience at this point we're continuing to grow we should be in many more schools this next this next school year which has been incredible um to see so i think it's it's been my most important thing to do is be able to give back right like people basketball is awesome and it's so fun and you know people remember the shots you made and all that stuff but they'll also more remember if how you treated them and if you were a good person and if you gave them an autograph or if you said hi to them um or if you did you know smiled at them or whatever it was those are the lasting things that people will really remember um so i think that that's been super important for me i love that i mean it's super mature jimmer to understand your legacy right is what you're speaking of and i've and i've spoken to other business owners that are very open about you know sharing all their knowledge about business or 
things they've learned similar to what you're doing with athletics, right? And especially, you know, particularly basketball is that, you know, you're not afraid to give back because like you're confident in who you are and your capabilities and abilities and, you know, your training and everything you've done to this point that it doesn't matter if the competition sees this or learns about, it. I mean, it's still you, right? Like you're still going to go yeah. outperform and it's similar to business that people can share all this stuff and, and really build the industry in, in some aspect. And, you know, from a young age as well, when you think about the charity side, I mean, you played in the Mount McGregor Correctional Facility. I mean, how did, did, did that play a role like just in competitiveness? Did that, you know, how did that opportunity come about? Yeah, I don't think I've ever been more intimidated than playing in the, in the prison. Uh, that's for <laughs> sure. I like when you play in the prison, then when you go and play against, you know, New Mexico or San Diego State or something like that, or UNLV, that doesn't compare even a little bit <laughs> to what you would have already done. So, yeah, that was a fun experience. I mean, my my uh, my next door neighbor, uh, their uncle ran the rec, uh, uh, rec portion of two different prisons in our area. Um, so they decided to uh, let the guys that were on good behavior come in and play basketball. Uh, and they were asking us because we knew we were a big basketball family. Hey, do you guys want to come in and play? And my brother was like, of course, and Jimmer's coming with us. You know, I was, you know, technically underage. I had to get a provision slip signed and my, my father had to come and everything to be able to go do that. And, uh, we went in and played at the prison and it was, it was definitely intimidating. You walk right through the yard and you go, uh, to the gym that they had there and, uh, you know, bodyguards all over the, the facility. And then they had the little stands actually there. So they let a lot of inmates come in and watch the game. Um, and the inmates would come in and they'd start betting on the game. Right. And they'd be pretty rowdy. And most, most of the time they would actually, uh, uh, they were betting that their, their inmate you know, team would win most of the time. Cause they looked at us. So like, there's no way that these guys are going to win. And, and then we started playing and then a lot of times they're like changing their bet. They're like, you know what? No, we're with, these guys are going to beat them. These guys are going to beat them. I'm, I'm changing it completely. So you'd see a shift and then they start cheering for us. And uh, yeah, we were able to have, you know, a relationship with some of the guys in there. And actually uh, once I went to BYU, uh, they were able to watch uh, some of the tournament games and some of the games that they played because they knew I went to BYU. So they were able to actually watch some of the games in the prison, which was, was kind of fun uh and everything so it was it was a unique experience something that many people get a chance to do but uh definitely helps you with your your mentality and when you get fouled or anything like that you don't say anything you just move on to the next play and just keep playing <laughs> yeah it's a little bit different i'm prison fouls i'm sure a little bit different you can't be soft playing there no no you definitely can't be you can't be soft and also you don't want to you don't want to say too much back that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah and as you mentioned the scouting report was probably missing as uh, you know they didn't have the over under you know in preparation for that you know how old, how old were you when you were playing at that level i was uh between 16 and 18 yep wow that's amazing so you know now why denver i mean growing up in new york haven't played there you went to byu you've lived abroad you know what made you settle there in colorado yeah, it was, uh, it was my wife. You know, my wife is from Denver, um, and and she uh, her family lives close to there. Um, about we're about fifteen minutes from her parents' place. Um, her brother lives there also with four kids, so they have you know good cousin. My my kids have cousins there that they can hang out with, and you know, I honestly I love Denver. It's my favorite place. Uh, you know, in the U.S., I think I've been all over to the place to places to live, and I just love the the uh climate of it and um you know there's a lot going on and we live in a really nice area we're so fortunate we actually are currently building a house and we're almost done with the process now brad we should have had you do it oh, no. but uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh 
Yeah, it's been. How's that uh, supply chain for you? Is it taking a little longer than expected? You know, it's honestly been okay for us. We we were built. We started about two years ago. We started like right before everything kind of happened, and we kind of hit a little bit right on time. Honestly, for a lot of it, now it's we're getting down to the end. It's gone a little bit slower at the end than we than we have wanted it to, but mostly because we're just trying to get people in to install stuff and everything. It's mm-hmm. more of the, the people trying to get in to actually work than actually having the supplies on hand because we do have the the stuff. So. But it's been a fun experience, so I know all about it. And uh, but yeah, I love Denver. Uh, it's been amazing to have Whitney's family there. They're unbelievable people, uh, especially when I've been gone with to help with the kids and to be there with Wit and everything. So that's been a, a great, great experience. But yeah, I we won't leave. It's 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 an amazing place. Well, it's interesting. I'm sure you know. Speaking about construction, which is you know my day to day, it's interesting because you know having started the process, I'm sure a couple of years ago was good for you because you missed some of those price hikes and it's been you know a very fluctuating Fairly. market. And, yep. Yeah, it's been it's it's been tough for us and we've had to learn. You know, you think about just having to pivot right and change and adapt right, and it's something that we've had to spend a lot of time just communication, set expectations, and you know yeah. pre COVID, you know that you, you feel that it was funny because a friend of mine in St. Louis had posted or they're in Kansas City, they had posted a funny video about. They thought it was hard to build in 2019. Little did they know 2022, right? <laughs> yeah, it's coming. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's just change. And it's, you know, it all comes down to expectations. But going back to your house, you know, without, you know, telling everyone about your house, are, are there some unique things that you had designed or any special elements you're excited about to have, you know, when you moved in or when you move in? Yeah, no, we're excited. So we actually, we we were lived right down the street, right? And we, we moved about 100 yards up the street. Um, to this lot and we wanted a lot with a bigger yard um, and to be uh, kind of have an opportunity to build what we wanted to build right so we'll have a pool back there we'll have an in the door in the ground tramp and of course we'll have a little sport court in the backyard with a little basketball and everything so that's something that we didn't have at our other house and obviously we could build the house exactly the way that we wanted to and you know honestly when I was growing up um, you know we like I said we didn't have a big, we didn't have a big house or anything like that. And I I don't care about cars. I don't care about jewelry. I don't care about like literally anything on the planet, but I always wanted to have a big house. Like that was my one thing. And uh, so I was like, all right, let's, let's go out and let's build our house that we want to build. We've been fortunate enough to be able to be in the situation. And honestly, the market has been perfect for us to sell our home. Uh, our other home and be able to roll most of that into this home that we're building and kind of just hit out at the right time. And we decided to do it and uh, we're super excited about it. I mean, we're, we'll be in and hopefully within the next six weeks and uh, we'll be living our life. Yeah. We'll be living our life with our three little ones and this will be the house that they grew up in. So. Yeah, that's super exciting. I'm sure, especially being, you know, uh, not a young father, but having young children, you know, for you, and with, you know, it's really important, you know, that the kids have a place where they can bring their friends and grow up. And I'm sure there's a lot of that reason too behind having a big house because you want your kids to yes. be there, right? To have the influence on that. Oh my goodness. Yes. I want them at our house so that their friends want to come over and that we can see them, you know, more than one, one time a week, probably, you know, as they get older, they don't want to go anywhere else. They want the kids to come to our house. That's, that's what I definitely want. So we can experience all those ex- experiences with the kids and with their friends and everything. So definitely a big, uh, big selling point for that. So, so being a client now on the flip side, right now, speaking about construction from your side, you know, having gone through this process of building, you know, with your builder, are there, um, you know, any recommendations that you have for builders, listen, architects, designers through communication, you know, systems or pain points, maybe that you've had, it sounds like it's been a pretty good process, which is amazing, but 
just from the client perspective, you know, things that we should be focusing in on, you know, that just to understand from our side. hundred percent. The biggest thing for us is communication. Um, you know, like I would say the communication between the three, the three different uh, points that I like to talk about, it's us, the builder, and then also the trade, whatever that may be, or the, or if you have a designer, right. That the communication between the three, I feel like there's, there's been times where we're communicating with the builder, um, but they're not communicating with the trade or vice versa. And then things get lost or things don't happen the way that they should. And then we have to change it, you know, that type of thing. So being able to have that communication. So I think, I think the biggest thing is like making sure that the builders are writing stuff down always so that they know what we're saying. Cause we go through a walkthrough of the house and we say a lot of stuff. And if it's not written down, then maybe it's, you know, maybe one little detail is forgotten, but that detail is important to us. You know what I mean? So I think that's something, um, but then also the communication between, uh, you know, the people that are going to be your designers of your house. If you're designing your house, that's great. But if you have a designer that's working with you um, to be able to have them there, so that they know, you know, what light fixtures going in and what type of grout is being put in and, uh, you know, all of these little, little things that you don't think of, but you forget about, but they have all that information, that communication needs to be good too. I think that's tremendous insight. It's funny that you talked about writing it down. So early in my career, and this was, uh, I mean, this is right out of construction. I did construction management at BYU and moved to Phoenix right after, right? And I was working on this amazing hotel, the Mona Lucia. It's in Paradise Valley, this amazing hotel. And there was one of my fellow supers and he never wrote anything down. And like, he would always forget, you know, the client would say things, the customer and our director of operations at the time, the company I was working for, I mean, he fired him on the spot. He's like, look, if you're not going to write stuff down, like you will not succeed in this industry. And unfortunately, you know, he was termed, but it had a big impact on me because you know, we can all think about, I have a good memory, but documentation is so important, especially there's so much information like in a home, in the homes that yeah. we in any home, it doesn't matter the size, there's so much communication. As you mentioned, I mean, you're essentially probably sitting down making selections two years ago that now are coming to fruition. And, you know, if that's right. not documented, it could be a big issue. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, and for the record, I mean, my, our builder has been, he's been doing really well. Like he's, he's had a a good system. He's been fairly organized. You know, obviously there's so much stuff that goes into it. So there's been some things that we have to continue to talk about and and make sure that they happen, but he's done a really good job, but I, he does write stuff down, right? Like he has someone with him to write it down as we're going through the process and, and understanding that. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely, uh, you know, definitely a big thing, but I've, we've had a really good experience, right? We've had, we've been fortunate. We've worked with really good people and, uh, but we did our research before, right? Like we're like, who we've talked to people that built homes, um, that have had homes built and did our research of like, all right, which builder did you like? I know we, we were looking at this person, what was your experience with it? And we narrowed it down to the best person, um, for the job. And, uh, yeah, we've, we've had a good experience. So for anybody looking at building a home, definitely do your research, and uh, I'm sure Brad would be your guy if you're definitely down in the Arizona area. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But research is important. I mean, from your side, you know, word of mouth was really important. You reached out to other people, former clients. You know, did social media play a role? Maybe Instagram, websites. I mean, how much did you look at the back end in addition to just speaking to uh, you know other people that have used them? Yeah, I think social media is really big, honestly, um, at this day and age. Because I mean, I I'm a real estate guy. I love real estate. I invest in real estate. You know, I do all these different things. So I, I, I love real estate. So I follow a lot of real estate people. Um, and I look at their homes 
and I'm like, wow, that's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like I look at some of your homes, right? I'm like, geez, these are, these are gorgeous. You know what I mean? And like, I, oh, I didn't think of that to put in my house. You know what I mean? And yeah. There's different things that go on to this, but I enjoy looking at that type of stuff. But if I, you know, as someone that um, is going to be, um, you know, building another home, if someone has 50,000 followers and you have a bunch of these beautiful homes that you're being built there, most of the time you're like, wow, this guy must do a, or, or girl must be doing a really good job. Right. They must, And I think at least that's going to get you in the door of contacting them. And then it's about, you know, the builder being able to sell them on it afterwards. But I think that's, it's definitely advantage an advantage if you can use social media to, to, you know, gather people and, and get, you know, get your stuff out there so they can see it and then they can, uh, you know, decide from there. But yeah, it's definitely a good advantage. Yeah. I love the marketing side. What's interesting about social media too. I mean, you know, we could all speak about the negativity, but the one thing I really enjoy is a connector, right? It connects people connect. Like it's really helped me better my business as I connect with other architects and designers and contractors yeah. around the country. And, you know, I mean, hence this conversation, you and I met through Instagram and fortunately you were super courteous. I know you're super busy, Jim, and to make time to come on the podcast and, you know, yeah. develop a, a, an online relationship if you are a friendship to, to some extent, but you yeah. know, from your side now, you know, f- career path, you're doing the TBT tournament, right? You had tremendous success. You mentioned yesterday in Dayton, I think you're playing tomorrow, right? How does, you know, speaking about that tournament now, you know, in closing, cause I want to be sensitive to your time, but you know, how do you, how do you put the time or the team together, right? Are these contacts you've played with friends, you know, how is this formulated to be super competitive and, 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 and really, you know, to have a, a chance to win this thing? Yeah, no, it's, it's a kind of a little bit of both. I mean, I did some, I uh, talked to some people that I knew, um, you know, my brother actually TJ, he's the GM. So he's the guy that's actually putting the team together. Um, but Jordan Crawford, who's our little guard on our team, we, we knew each other when we played back in the Westchester Knicks. Um, so I met Jordan there and we've been good friends ever since. And, uh, he's really well connected. He knows everybody somehow, some way he knows everybody. And he's the one that's connected to Floyd for the money team. And that's why we're called that Floyd Bayweather and everything. (laughs) So he literally (laughs) knows everyone. He's the man. Um, so he reaches out to people, but TJ just does, you know, he, he reaches out on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. And he just basically is like cold calling, you know, some of these guys and he doesn't know who he doesn't know them on a personal level, but he can reach out to them and be like, Hey, we have a team, you know, and, and we can, you know, do you want to come play with us? And then we have contacts obviously that we know that we play with, that we've trusted, that we brought in. And then some of the other guys, you know, are, are guys that are new that are on our roster. So um, it's kind of a mixture of both, but the fun part about it, it's like, like I said, it's kind of like a old man's AAU tournament, right? Like, mm-hmm it's you just show up and play like there's no stress of practicing or you know having to do all you know different types of crazy stuff like you may have to do during the season and all the build up you just show up you get your group of guys together you may have a little training camp or you know a little practices before or something not anything crazy but then you just show up and you put on the your shoes and you play and it's a lot of fun to be able to do that and it kind of brings you back to your your childhood memories I love that. And it's, it's, it's pretty neat that you have Floyd Money Mayweather behind you, right? The money team. And so, yeah. you know, is there a sponsorship, you know, that there, ha- I would imagine there has to be some sort of sponsorship because you guys aren't like all in Denver, right? And you're traveling to remote locations. So logistically, yeah. the coordination from everyone coming in and flying and, and, you know, being together for this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. There's sponsors. Um, you know, they, my brother gets together with all the sponsors, um, and you know, some other guys help out. And, uh, one of the guys on our team, Anders Jacobson, he actually is, uh, uh, one of our sponsors. So he, he put in some, some money to be able to come and, 
and now he's playing on the team. He played at uh, Southern Virginia University. He played a stint at BYU Hawaii. Actually, he's a great guy. Um, he he does uh, solar. Um, he's out in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and he's uh, you know part of our team. He's an awesome guy. We've been talking a lot, and uh, you know so he helps sponsor, and then we get money from other sponsorships to be able to help get everyone the flights and all that stuff. But then the second, if you get past the first three rounds, the second weekend then the tournament pays for everything. The tournament pays okay. for your hotel, your flights, all of that stuff. So the first couple of rounds, you have to pay for it. And then, and then afterwards, the, the last three rounds, the tournament pays for it. Well, it's amazing. Well, speaking of solar, I have a lot of buddies that have left uh, the Raleigh market and Texas market. It's booming for solar. So with yeah. that said, as we, as we close here, Jim, or, you know, what do you do for fun outside of basketball? I know you're active with, with your wife, Whitney and children, but you know, what do you guys love to do? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're pretty active. I mean, we, we definitely enjoy working out. Um, and, uh, you know, we go into the pool a lot. Our kids love the pool. They're, they're, they're like fishes. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, we have a dog, his name's George. So we love to play with George, take him out do that type of stuff. We're, we love going to movies. We've been going to a lot of movies recently. Last one, we just went to the minions with the kids and, uh, you know, Classic. we, yeah, we we go do we we do a bunch of stuff. We're pretty active. We're, we're a lot of fun, but we're also pretty chill. We don't do anything crazy. We kind of just uh, hang out as a family. Um, kids are busy doing all of their activities, and and uh, you know we like to go out and get some good food and and you know cook, make make food, and then always ending with some type of dessert. We love we love our treats, love our ice cream and all that stuff. And my wife is a, an unbelievable baker, so it's kind of dangerous, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that that could be dangerous. Well, I need some advice. So I have six kids, and uh, my kids been asking for a dog their whole life, and we finally oh, broke geez. down. We're going to get a French bulldog here in two weeks, and so we're nice. pretty nervous because we've never had a dog. So what kind of dog do you have? Any advice? Yeah, we have a golden retriever, and uh, I will say golden retrievers are incredible with kids. They are they're just, they'd let you do anything they want. My kids are on top of them all the time. And, <laughs> and especially my son, my son, I'm like, Taft, Taft, you can't keep doing that to our dog. You know, you have to get off of him. You have to stop pulling his ears and, you know, doing all this stuff. We're like constantly in a battle with him, <laughs> trying to get him off that. But he loves the dog and the dog is unbelievable with him, George. So, but Wesley is much better with him. Wesley is much better with him. So. All right, Jim. Well, thanks for making time. I know you spend an hour and I know you're super busy. So where can our listeners find you? Yeah, you can find me on social media. My handles are just Jimmer for that, uh, you know, underscore 32, I think with Instagram, just Jimmer for that Facebook and Twitter. Um, and on TikTok, same thing. So you can just look me up. I should have the blue check mark. So if you see, see that you can go ahead and follow me and and to go ahead and message me whatever you want to do. But uh, yeah, it's it's been fun. But yeah, go ahead and message me if you have questions. Thanks, Jim. Well, thanks for making time today. Yeah, no problem, Brad. Thanks for having me on. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe. Give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.